Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be discussing breathing mindfulness meditation. We're going to be discussing what it is, how to do it. We're going to be using some quotes from Gautama Buddha to actually study some of his words around meditation. And we're going to actually be doing a meditation session today. So I'm really glad that you're here and look forward to sharing the teachings of the Buddha with you. First, let's describe why we're actually doing meditation and let's even just start with something even more simple what is meditation meditation is a independent dedicated session to train the mind to either cultivate certain qualities or eliminate certain qualities from the mind Gautama Buddha provided us a few different techniques on meditation which I'm going to be sharing with you guys today in his actual words and what we're doing in meditation is we're literally training the mind. Sometimes in modern day practice or modern day life, we sometimes say we're going to go for a jog or we're going to go take the dog for a walk or we're going to go gardening and we're going to meditate. But this isn't possible based on what we understand about meditation and how we're actually to use meditation. If we're gardening, we're gardening, or if we're jogging, we're jogging, or if we're walking the dog, we're walking the dog. We are doing those activities. But if we're meditating, then we're applying an independent, dedicated training session in order to train the mind. And today we're gonna be doing breathing mindfulness meditation, which is to eliminate the quality of craving or desire or attachment in the mind. And in other types of meditation, we actually cultivate certain qualities in the mind. So let's talk about this word breathing mindfulness, okay? What mindfulness is, is mindfulness is awareness of mind. Part of the Eightfold Path in order to attain enlightenment is to cultivate awareness of mind. Because if we're going to purify the mind for this mental state of enlightenment, which is a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, then we need to be aware of the mind. We need to be aware of the condition of the mind. So we need to cultivate mindfulness. What mindfulness is, is literally awareness of mind, having awareness of the mind. And we are able to do that through meditation and cultivating mindfulness through meditation. And then the more that we do that, we're able to then carry that with us in daily life throughout our day. And the way that we do this is through a dedicated independent training session where we're focusing on the breath. The breath is going to be our present moment and that's what we're gonna be focused on is the breath. 
Because in order to attain this mental state of enlightenment, you absolutely need meditation. There's no way around that. You need to actually meditate in order to train the mind. So each Wednesday at nine o'clock, I dedicate this time, nine o'clock on Wednesday, Thai time, 9 p.m., in order to help you in your meditation practice. And I'm kind of rotating three individual classes here on Wednesday, breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, and then I've been teaching chanting as well. And each session, we're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the meditation and helping you guys to understand it more and making myself available for any questions that you might be having as you're meditating and developing your practice so that you can get help and guidance in your meditation practice, which is really essential in order to develop and ultimately be successful in a meditation practice. You need guidance and you need people that can help you. So that's why these Wednesdays are set aside at 9 p.m. Thai time for you to be able to get help in your meditation practice. So what I would like to do is share with you some of the teachings from the Buddha that he taught as part of meditation. And his teachings are quite extensive. He taught for 45 years and his teachings were all taught orally and later after his death actually written down and shared with us in the Pali text. The Pali text or the Pali canon is the source of the teachings from Gautama Buddha. And for me, I've attained a very high quality and reliable source of these teachings translated into English that I know work in order to attain this mental state of enlightenment. So I use these teachings in order to guide my practice and also to share with students in your practice. And some of the words that I would like to share with you here are some things that Gautama Buddha said as part of his teachings. And I'd like to share those and then we can explore them and you're welcome to ask questions if you like. One of the phrases that I found that he said is, a pot without a stand is easy to tip over. In this quote, I'm associating the word pot with the mind in the stand as your meditation practice. So essentially, a mind without a meditation practice is easy to tip over. So if you're finding yourself having discontentness of anger or frustration or irritation or boredom or loneliness, the mind's maybe craving to go outside or the mind's craving to go back to the work environment that you've been in or whatever kind of cravings that you might be having, in order to resolve this and train the mind to be content or satisfied with what is, you need to develop a really good quality stand or else your pot is gonna be easy to tip over. So here we've been faced in today's time with lots of changes in our society with the coronavirus and these big changes can tip the pot over. But even small little things, even a pot without a stand, even a small little thing, somebody looks at you the wrong way or somebody says something displeasing to you, somebody cuts you off in traffic, somebody doesn't say or do something that you're expecting them to do. If you don't have a meditation practice where you're continually, consistently training the mind, it's going to be easy to tip over your pot. 
because you haven't established that stand or that meditation practice. So what we're doing here is helping you to develop a stand. And then each day that you're practicing meditation and each time you're learning, that stand becomes wider and wider and wider and wider so that it's more and more stable. And the mind becomes more and more stable and it's harder and harder to tip over that pot because you've got a nice stable stand. So this is one of the quotes that the Buddha shared is a pot without a stand is easy to tip over. So if you find yourself angry or frustrated or irritated or feeling guilt or shame or fear or loneliness or boredom or shyness, any of these discontent feelings, even jealousy, I don't mention that much, but even jealousy is a discontent uh, feeling. If you find yourself with these things, it's because you haven't yet trained the mind. You're not a bad person. You haven't done anything wrong. You just haven't had access to the teachings and a teacher to be able to help you to learn these teachings from Gautama Buddha to establish that nice high quality stand that's going to be nice and stable so that your mind doesn't get tipped over. And one of the great things about the Buddha's teachings is that they're all independently verifiable. As you're learning meditation and the rest of the teachings and you're practicing those, you should be seeing the mind continually improving and you should see that this anger and frustration and irritation is slowly starting to dissipate in certain topic areas of your life and maybe coming down to an annoyance or just a slight irritation or a little dislike. And eventually you get to the point where you've trained your mind so well that that same thing that happened two or three months ago that would have just driven you crazy and angry and frustrated, it doesn't even have an effect at all and the mind is just calm, content and peaceful. And that's only if you're going to develop this stand or meditation practice. Another quote that the Buddha said is meditate bhikkhus and bhikkhus are the ordained male practitioners. Bhikkhunis are the female ordained practitioners. But most often his teachings, he is referring to the community of male practitioners, which are bhikkhus. So if you ever see quotes online on images that just say something very general and don't include the word bhikkhus, then you know that it's pretty much not an accurate quote. From my experience, about 99.9% .9 of all the quotes on images that are being shared from Gautama Buddha across the internet are, are actually fake quotes. So what I'm sharing with you here are quotes that came directly out of the text of Gautama Buddha that was actually written down after his death and that we practice and we know that it's actually truth. So what he's saying here is meditate bhikkhus. He's referring to the, the ordained monks. And he's saying, do not be negligent, right? Don't be complacent. Don't be relaxed. Don't just, you know, kick back and, and not dedicate time and effort to this practice. Lest you will regret it later. This is my instruction to you. Essentially, what Gautama Buddha knew and what we know is that the cycle of rebirth is constantly happening all the time. And you being in this human birth is based on your past decisions in your past lives, whether they were animal lives or whatever they were, 
you've had countless lives in your past that you probably don't remember at this particular time, but you may, as you meditate more and more, you might actually observe your past lives. So as you go through these various lives, and as you have gone through these various lives in the past, you've accumulated a certain amount of gamma or certain results based on the decisions that were made that now you've been reborn into this human world. This human realm is the best realm to actually attain enlightenment, which will end this cycle of rebirth, this countless cycle of rebirth, because it's the only realm that we experience painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, and we have the ability to actually cultivate the mind to attain enlightenment. So for example, an animal, they don't have the ability to evolve the consciousness to enlightenment. They still experience these certain feelings, these painful, pleasant, neither painful nor pleasant, but they don't have the ability to take in the teachings, learn the teachings, reflect on those, and train the mind and evolve it beyond their animal existence. It's only in this human life that we actually have the ability to do that. So what I feel the Buddha is probably referring to here when he says meditate bhikkhus, do not be negligent lest you will regret it later, is that you are now in the human life. If you go through this life without learning the teachings and practicing them in order to attain enlightenment, you will regret it later. And one of the things that I really respect about the Buddha and his teachings is he never used guilt or shame or fear in order to motivate people, in order to learn and practice his teachings. Because remember, one of the primary goals of enlightenment and attaining enlightenment is to eliminate guilt, fear, and shame, right? Along with all other discontent, emotions, and feelings. So the last thing he's going to do is create guilt and shame and fear in order to motivate people to learn his teachings. So this is kind of like the closest thing I've ever seen to the Buddha kind of like giving a little bit of a nudge to people and saying, okay, you know, don't be complacent, don't be lazy, or you're going to regret it later. And this is said in a very peaceful, calm way and just kind of here it is, you know, without laying on any guilt or shame or fear. So oftentimes, if you haven't really dove into the teachings or you're just getting started, it's kind of a challenge to build this consistent, dedicated daily practice of meditation. But whether you actually know that the cycle of rebirth is real or not, whether it's truth or not, you may not have seen evidence in your life to know that the cycle of rebirth is actually real or not. But one of the things that I can share with you is that may come later, that you may get that information. But in the meantime, perhaps just take my word for it, that it's 100% real. The cycle of rebirth is 100% real because there's people that have observed their past lives. And we know that this is real, 100%. And if you can at least take that on face value, perhaps you can use it as motivation because the last thing that we would want or you would perhaps be interested in is to actually come back to this world or come back to being an animal or another being because once you're in the animal realm or any of the lower realms, it's really hard to be reborn 
back into the human realm. The Buddha described the lower three realms of hell, afflicted spirits, and animal realm. He described them as prisons. Essentially, once you are reborn into those realms, it's very hard to get out of there. And even the Buddha himself, he was able to distinguish many, many lives that he had in the animal realm at different times, different beings before he was actually reborn into the human realm. So here, the last thing that you would be interested in is coming back to repeat all of this. Now, certainly there's been pleasure or there's been certain pleasurable experiences in your life that have been helpful and interesting and you've enjoyed. But in reality, if you look back through your life and all the things that you had to do to get to where you are today, I mean, let's just talk about, you know, learning how to walk, learning how to talk learning how to read, learning how to write and spell, learning how to interact with people, learning how to walk down the street, learning how to cross the street, learning how to drive, learning how to have relationships. You know, the various miseries that we've experienced along the way in life. Yes, again, there's been some pleasure and there's been some enjoyable experiences in life, but in order to do that, we have to repeat all of these other things if we were going to take rebirth again. So the goal in this practice is to attain this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy that is permanent that you can experience now in this life and then enjoy that peaceful mind state for the rest of your life so that then you can enjoy the rest of your life and you don't just go around being frustrated and angry and disappointed and jealous and guilty and shameful and fearful that you can actually just enjoy life because the mind has attained this mental state of enlightenment and you will know the truth having attained that mental state the mind will be unshakable and you won't be reborn back into the world or into any other existence multiple times so i feel that's what the buddha is really describing here when he says lest you regret it later right so these are just two of the individual quotes that i kind of pulled out of his teachings to share with you guys today and i've got some other ones but i want to pause here for a moment and see if you guys have any questions or thoughts or comments that you'd like to share regarding these two that i've shared so far hi david we have a question from amina on on facebook and we actually practiced loving kindness meditation last week so amina is now asking is it okay to do the loving kindness meditation even on those days when we're not frustrated by others because it feels like a positive way to ground ourselves in compassion absolutely in fact loving kindness meditation is something you can do all the time and, and doing it when the mind isn't angry or isn't feeling frustrated is actually a great time to do it because you kind of get ahead of the curve rather than doing it only when the mind's frustrated or angry or irritated which loving kindness is working towards eliminating that poison of hatred or anger rather than just waiting till then you do it all the time and get really ahead of the curve and fill up that bucket of loving kindness which is goodwill or active goodwill towards all beings without judgment so yes absolutely okay that's all our questions at the moment david but i'm sure we might have a couple more by the end okay so this breathing mindfulness meditation that I teach you guys, 
it is something that I observed in the Buddhist teachings, which I'm actually going to flip here in a moment and actually show you guys exactly where I saw it and why I teach it the way that I do. So I saw it in the Pali text, Pali Canon. I practiced it for myself, saw that it actually works and had a dramatic effect on my own mind. I've shared it with a lot, a lot, a lot of students over the years, and they've actually made a lot of progress with it. And I've actually heard from Thai people when Thai people come and talk to me, they ask me, what kind of meditation do you teach? And there's been some of those Thai people that said, oh, this is the exact same meditation that I learned at this temple where this really well-known monk that everyone knows is enlightened, he's teaching the exact same meditation as you. So I've confirmed this style of meditation that I'm teaching you, the breathing mindfulness meditation in those four ways. In the Buddhist text, in the teaching, the Pali Canon, through my own practice, my own experience, everything that I teach you is through my own experience, through sharing it with others and seeing them get benefit and them actually improving the quality of their mind, and then confirming it with Thai people as well as, as I've interacted with Thai people, Thai monks, and people like this. So I confirm everything that I do in these ways in order to ensure that what you're learning is going to actually work for you. So breathing mindfulness meditation is a way to eliminate the mind's tendency to hold on to thoughts, to hold on to ideas, to perceptions, dwelling on the past or anticipating the future, just rooting the mind with mindfulness, awareness of mind in the present moment by focusing on the breath. And I usually give instruction that is along the lines of cutting off the thoughts or letting go of the thoughts. So here on the next picture, I would like to share with you guys where I got that from. And this text that I'm sharing with you is an abbreviated version of the actual text that I'm referencing in the Buddhist teachings. So the Buddha actually says a couple things before this, and he says, having based himself on these five things, the bhikkhu should develop further another four things. Okay, so there's five things before this that the Buddha talks about, and it's mainly associated with having good companions, good comrades, good associates, and having good people around you that are interested in practicing good, wholesome qualities, right? Because if we surround ourselves with those kind of encouraging, supportive people, then we're going to actually benefit and they're going to benefit our life and we're going to benefit their life. Whereas if you're around negative people that are just only interested in doing harmful, unwholesome things, then your mind will tend to lean in that direction. So prior to this, the Buddha talks about good comrades, good friendships, good associates, things like this, and why we would be interested in having those kind of people around us. Then he says, okay, once you've developed those five things, then you should develop these next four. And this is where the meditation practices that I share in chapter 11 of the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to a Nibbana, comes from. The first one here is he talks about the perception of unattractiveness should be developed to abandon lust. Now, keep in mind that one of the 10 fetters, right? Once you get up and running on 
the Eightfold Path, which includes the five precepts and the Four Noble Truths, once you get up and running on that and you're practicing it really diligently to include meditation, you're going to start working to chip away at the ten fetters. And one of those fetters is central desire, which includes sexual contact. So there's central desire, which includes sexual contact, but there's other things in there as well. Essentially, what sensual desires are, are pleasures of the senses, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the ears, and the, the physical touch. So one of those things that we do that is one of the more challenging things to eliminate for some people is the sexual contact. And in this particular translation, Bhikkhu Bodhi chose to use the word lust. So here, what this particular aspect that the Buddha is suggesting is developing the perception of unattractiveness of the body should be developed in order to abandon lust. For someone who's having challenges with sexual cravings and having a lot of sexual cravings, by meditating on the real true appearance of the physical body, i.e. the unattractiveness of it, then you can actually work to abandon sexual cravings. And this is where people will oftentimes get a picture of a dissected human body or even meditate with an actual corpse itself because then you're actually involving the smell in addition to the actual appearance. So when we look at people, they can look very beautiful, right? We've got certain hair, we've got certain facial features, we got certain roundness in our bodies or not, that people have certain qualities that they actually like, certain makeup or jewelry or scents that we have. And these are all part of the way that we attract each other and we get involved in certain relationships. Well, if you've gotten to a certain point in your practice where you've decided you want to start working on eliminating the sexual contact, then understanding and developing the perception of unattractiveness. And the way that we do this is kind of envision the body without the skin. Because if somebody walked up to you without their skin, I doubt that you'd be interested in taking them on a date or having sex with them. And it's only because we have this skin that kind of covers up the bones and the tissue and the ligaments and tendons and joints and the fluids and organs that a person actually appears attractive. So one of the ways that I have in the book that is available for someone who's having challenges with sexual cravings is you can actually acquire pictures, and these are readily accessible nowadays on the internet, where there's a human corpse or a dissected human body, and you can actually meditate with your eyes open, staring at this image. And this is one of the only meditations that I know, or this is the only meditation that I teach, where you actually leave your eyes open as part of the meditation, and you just stare at this image in order to develop the perception of unattractiveness. And this is one way for you to start developing less and less of an interest in sexual contact when you choose that that's the right time for you to do it. You may not be at that point in your life right now where you're interested in doing that. But when you are, that's one way that you can actually do it. So that's one meditation that I teach in chapter 11. 
It's not a meditation that everyone needs or that everyone's required to do, but it's one that's there if you need help. So this one is covered in the Buddhist teachings and is covered in the book as well. The second one is loving kindness should be developed to abandon ill will. Remember, ill will is one of the lower fetters. And this is a fetter that needs to be eliminated in order to attain the highest stage of enlightenment. Even to get to the second stage of enlightenment, this fetter of ill will needs to be thinned. And then in order to get to the third stage, you need to actually eliminate it 100%. So to get to the second stage, it needs to be thinned. The third stage eliminated. And then, of course, if it's eliminated at the third stage, then by the time you get to the fourth stage where you're working on the higher fetters, then this one would have already been eliminated. What ill will is referring to is it's referring to the poison of hatred or anger. This is the same poison that generates the feelings of frustration, of irritation, of annoyance. These are all lesser qualities of that same poison of hatred and anger described in the fetters as ill will. So using loving kindness meditation as I teach in chapter 11 is used to cultivate this loving kindness or this active goodwill without judgment towards all beings and eliminating things like resentment, hatred, anger, ill will, forgiving, just forgiving things and letting things go, but doing it with kindness and goodwill towards all beings. This is a meditation that everyone needs. Everyone who's working towards enlightenment is going to need this. In order to cultivate this quality of loving kindness in the mind, so that then you can practice loving kindness in daily life through having active goodwill towards all beings in your daily life. So this practice of cultivating loving kindness, remember it's a dedicated independent training session where you're developing and cultivating loving kindness in the mind, starting with yourself and then moving out in rings, progressive rings, until you get to essentially all beings. And through doing this enough times over a consistent period of time, you'll notice that you'll slowly erode certain feelings that you have when you maybe go outside and there's people that you dislike or you have dislike or you have anger or frustration. You can start cultivating this more in the mind. I had to do this for many, many, many years before I was able to get to the point where I am now, where everybody, I love everybody. There's nobody that I would feel negatively against, but it takes time to get to that point, especially if you've had a past where people have done certain harmful things to you. And if you've been involved in any kind of trauma at the hands of other people, you might be holding on to resentment. And this is one of the meditations that you can use to let that go and cultivating loving kindness. So this is a meditation that everybody needs. And the Buddha is explaining it to you right here that you need to develop loving kindness in order to abandon ill will. That's his solution. That's his antidote to this poison of hatred, anger, and this fetter of ill will, which is essentially the same thing. Then the third thing that he's talking about here is mindfulness of breathing 
should be developed to cut off thoughts. Okay, I call this breathing mindfulness meditation. But here, the way it was translated is mindfulness of breathing should be developed to cut off thoughts. This is the Buddha explaining that in order to train the mind to let go of the thoughts and cutting off the thoughts to bring the mind to the breath. The breath is the present moment. Mindfulness of breathing should be developed to cut off thoughts. This is working towards eliminating that poison of craving or greed. This is the poison that the mind holds on to things and it's always craving and seeking outward satisfaction. On Sunday at 9 o'clock Thai time, we're going to be discussing transforming the three poisons in detail. We're going to spend our whole class session discussing the three poisons. But here, just real quickly, craving, anger, and ignorance, or unknowing of true reality, also described as greed, hatred, and delusion, or unknowing of true reality. So here, what the Buddha is giving you in these last two things that he's suggesting that we develop is loving kindness should be developed to abandon ill will. He's explaining to use loving kindness meditation and the practice of loving kindness to eliminate hatred and anger, i.e. ill will, which is denoted as ill will in the fetters. And then mindfulness of breathing should be developed to cut off thoughts because this is how we train the mind to let go. Okay, and just let go of things. And that's what we're going to be doing today. And then the fourth thing that he's describing here is the perception of impermanence should be developed to eradicate the conceit, I am. Conceit is a higher fetter. This is going to be addressed much later, probably in your practice, but you really need to kind of work to eliminate it all the way through. But in order to get to that highest stage of enlightenment, you need to eliminate conceit or arrogance, right? Judging people, putting yourself above or below people, just this arrogance, this ego. And he's describing it as I am, like I am here, like I am the best. I am the king. I am so wonderful. I never do anything wrong. I'm so perfect. I'm so wonderful. I am right about everything, right? This is how conceit comes out, is that we are always trying to prove our significance. We're always trying to prove that we're right. We're always trying to put ourselves above everyone else. This is arrogance or conceit. So what he's starting to get to here that you're going to see in the next sentence is starting to talk about non-self, which we talked about back in chapter 4. When one perceives impermanence, remember impermanence is constant change. When one perceives impermanence, in other words, you're soaking into the mind that everything's impermanent. So if you're perceiving it, it means you're observing it. You can see that everything's impermanent. When you perceive this, the perception of non-self is stabilized. Because if you're already observing that everything around you is impermanent, then how could there be this permanent self? Because remember, the teaching of non-self is all about helping you to realize that this image of the self that we carry around in the mind, the self-image, self-identity, 
this ego, it all gets in the way of realizing the enlightened mind. So the more that you see impermanence all around you, then you can start developing the perception of non-self, that there is no permanent self. And you start to stabilize this. And in order to get to even the first stage of enlightenment, you need to eliminate the personal existence view. And then ultimately, to get to the highest stage of enlightenment, you need to eliminate conceit, which is one of the 10 fetters, the upper fetters. So that's why this last sentence the Buddha describes here is one who perceives non-self eradicates the conceit, I am, which is Nibbana in this very life. So essentially, if you eradicate the five lower fetters and the 10 higher fetters, that is Nibbana in this very life. And the mind is going to be utterly peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And you can enjoy that for the rest of your life and just continually practicing the teachings because you've soaked them so deeply into the mind that you're able to now function through all of these teachings, which includes meditation. You'll have a standard, dedicated, consistent meditation practice that you do your entire life. So we can attain Nibbana during our life or we can attain it at death. The Buddha talked about this. But why would we wait and kind of risk it and take a chance of whether we're actually going to attain it at death and maybe not be reborn again when we can actually attain it by applying some dedication and commitment during our life, attain it now, and then enjoy this more peaceful, more calm, more serene, more content and joyful life for the rest of our life. So these four things that are to be developed in the chapter 11 that I created for meditation, I've actually detailed all of these four in meditation. So whether it's developing the perception of unattractiveness to abandon sexual cravings, that one's in there. And it's an optional meditation that you may work on with a teacher if you need that. Then there's loving kindness meditation should be developed to abandon ill will. That one's in there and everybody's going to need that. Mindfulness of breathing should be developed to cut off thoughts. That's the very first one that's in there because that's the central problem that the Buddha discovered with the mind is this mental longing, this strong eagerness for things to be our way. And when they're not our way, then the mind becomes discontent. This is the craving and the desire. This is what causes discontentness in this life. And it's also what leads to rebirth. Craving is the fuel that leads to the next birth. So if there's craving at the end of this life, then there's going to be rebirth. So this is the primary meditation that everybody needs. These two, loving kindness and breathing mindfulness meditation. And then the fourth one here about developing and eradicating the conceit I am, this meditation is also in the book. But I don't suggest you actually do this one until you're working closely with a teacher. Because if you're not practicing the five precepts, if you're not really sure about the Four Noble Truths, if you're still working on understanding the Eightfold Path, you're not even aware of what the Ten Fetters are, 
it doesn't make sense for you to go right to that meditation about non-self because you're not there yet. You're not at that place yet. Remember, this is a path. And at different points on this path, you're going to need different things. And this is why it's important to work with a teacher and have a relationship with a teacher so that they understand your mind and they can provide you guidance on all the things that you're going to need along the way. And they can point out various things that you're saying and you're doing and you're thinking, various practices that you're going to need to employ in order to further develop along this path. But I just wanted to show you this text so that you know that what I'm teaching you in all of these meditation sessions online, or if you're in an in-person class with me here in Chiang Mai, or you come to any of the retreats that I teach, or you see me at one of the places that I travel around and teach, or even if you're just reading this book and you're wondering, where did David get this information from? Well, I've included this text that I'm sharing with you here in the book, but you may not remember it and you may not have explored it this deeply. So I want to show you so that you can see that there's an absolute connection between what I'm teaching you and what the Buddha taught. And he knew that leads to enlightenment and what I'm teaching you that I know leads to enlightenment as well. So this is the four meditations that I teach. The other reason why I wanted to show you this is because in the wide, wide world that we have, and with all the impermanence between Gautama Buddha's death 2,500 years ago and today, there's been countless meditations that have been developed by various people. Various people have come up with all different types of meditations and they say they're for all different types of things. Well, if you spend a lot of time going out and learning all these various meditations and you're trying to stack up 10, 20, 30 different types of meditations, that's going to take you further off your path because you're now studying things that the Buddha never taught. And it's going to take you away from really focusing on that clear, direct path that the Buddha gave us. The Buddha gave us this very clear path to enlightenment. He illuminated the path with light. And the more you stick to that path that the Buddha gave you, the more results that you're going to see. So rather than veer off to this other path that somebody else is saying, hey, this will help you eliminate this, that, or the other thing, or this is going to help you get more wealthy, or this is going to help you look more beautiful, or whatever it is that people are sharing, these are the four that Gautama Buddha focus the mind on that he encouraged people to develop and that's why i focus on it as well so rather than spend all your time to run out and learn all these various different meditations that have been developed by who knows who over the years what my goal has always been is to stick close to what the buddha taught and only share and do what i know he taught and i know that works for my own practice so that's why I wanted to show you this so you don't feel this craving or this eagerness, this longing to go out and learn all of these various things that are out in the world in regards to meditation that you can just focus on what the Buddha taught because he is the Buddha. He's the one who awakened his mind on his own without the help of anyone else. He laid down his teachings for 45 years and then he said, allow these teachings to be your teacher now that I'm, I'm going to die. So all these other teachings that have come up after him 
through impermanence over 2,500 years, to me, those aren't things that we need to focus on. We need to focus on what the Buddha taught and what we know works. And that's how you're going to create this really clear path, this very clear direction towards enlightenment is through only learning and practicing what the Buddha actually taught. And what I'm sharing with you through all the different means that I share teachings is only what the Buddha taught and only what I know works 100%. So I wanted to show you that before we actually get going with our meditation today. Are there any questions that's out there that you guys would like to ask at this point? Yes, we have a question from Bill and Bill asks, when we're practicing mindfulness, is it helpful to identify the types of thoughts? So for example, judgment, annoyance, or lust, is that something that helps with mindfulness? Uh, he asks, I know the eventual goal is to return to the breath, but until we reach that point, is that labeling activity helpful? During meditation, I would say no, that it doesn't. There's some teachers that have come up with different techniques and teach to label things like thinking or judgment or all these different things. Because remember the goal is the mind's going to have a tendency to hold on to things. So let's just say in meditation, there's a sexual craving that comes up and you think about this beautiful being that you just saw a few hours ago or a few days ago. And that comes into the mind. And now you label it and say craving, sexual desire, whatever, right? And you label that. Well, that's just kind of replacing this thought of this individual who the mind is craving. It's just replacing it with something else. And the, but the mind's still holding on. So what I would rather suggest for you to do is just to let it go. Because what you're training the mind to do is to let things go and let them go very quickly because eventually it needs to be second, it's going to be second nature for you. The more you practice this, that things will happen in daily life and you'll just let them go. So if you're going through the process in meditation of something's arising, you're observing it, you're investigating it, you're analyzing it. Now you say, oh, that's sexual craving. Let me label it with sexual craving and then push it to the side. That's a lot of steps that the mind's going through before it actually lets the thought go. Well, with the Eightfold Path, with right effort, where you're applying effort to eliminate the unwholesome thoughts, when you do that enough times in daily life, when something happens, you don't wanna go through, there's the thought of anger, it's coming from this situation, it's happening for this reason, so forth and so on, and then labeling it and pushing it to the side. If that's what your mind's doing, I would call that contemplating or pondering, which is okay. You're just figuring things out. But the ultimate goal is to just, you see the unwholesome thought, boom, kick it out. Just let it go. That's what I use with my, my son who's seven and a half. I teach him the word, kick it out, right? Because you want to get to the point where as soon as you feel any little tinge or any little frustration or irritation, you just apply right effort right away and kick it out, let it go. And if you do this in meditation where you're not analyzing, reviewing, you know, labeling and all this stuff, then in daily practice when you're out and about in life, 
this process of applying right effort and kicking out the thought and letting it go will happen a lot more seamless for you where the mind doesn't have to go through all these steps before you you let it go so you'll find a lot more benefit the quicker you can let it go without labeling it because if you get into that habit of always analyzing and looking at it and labeling it then the mind's going to tend to want to hold on to that and continue to do that practice and it's going to slow down the mind's ability to just react because now the mind's reacting in a negative way with hostility or anger or frustration is becoming discontent but the more that you soak in these teachings and you start responding to situations eventually your mind's going to go back to reacting but it's going to react out of this foundation of the buddhist teachings because you've soaked the teachings so well into the mind that it just reacts and the reaction is going to either be a positive reaction or it's going to be no reaction at all so it's going to take time for that to happen so you got to kind of slow the mind down and teach it to respond but then eventually once these teachings soak in enough you'll be able to just do these things like second nature but you're training the mind so yeah i, I wouldn't suggest labeling things bill i think that's going to ultimately hinder you and slow you down from getting to the actual place where you want to be with your practice but i know a lot of people teach that a lot of people teach labeling which i i don't suggest doing i've never seen that before in the buddhist teachings here you can see very clearly mindfulness of breathing should be developed to cut off thoughts just cut them off let them go kick them out essentially is what you're doing i'd like to ask a follow-up to that david and uh bill did mention in his question as well about daily life so i'm wondering if during our daily activities when we're applying mindfulness not necessarily meditation is there ever a case of course if something comes up same thing you recognize it see it for what it is in that sense okay something's appeared but then if it's just coming back and coming back can we then go to ah oh, okay is this pleasant or is this unpleasant or is this neutral and is there any value in that and then maybe if it's still coming back after that we can then say this is a perception of guilt this is guilt that i'm feeling or this is anger feeling is there a case for doing that if, it, if, if the initial recognition is just not working uh, first time? Yeah, so two things there is identifying whether it's a painful, pleasant, or neither painful nor pleasant feeling. Sure, if that helps you further root the teachings in your mind so that you can identify all these feelings. And, and we're talking about daily life. So you're out and about, certain things are happening, you're feeling all excited and happy, you get a phone call and then boom, the mind comes down and you're feeling sad all of a sudden. You'd be like, ah, I was attached to those pleasant feelings. What this is doing is it's helping you to soak the teachings into the mind and help you to eliminate that fetter of doubt about the teachings. So yes, in daily life, if you're contemplating and pondering the teachings and you're seeing them clearly, ah, there's a painful feeling, there's a pleasant feeling, there's a feeling that's neither painful nor pleasant. Absolutely, that mindfulness that you're developing, that right mindfulness, that awareness of mind, that's what's helping you to do that. So if you're plugging those things in and you're seeing that through the mind, that's absolutely beneficial. And then the second part of what you're saying there, Max, is like, 
yeah, if you're seeing sexual craving arise, then knowing that that's what it is and having mindfulness, right? Mindfulness or awareness of mind, then that tells you, ah, uh, yes, I still need to work on this fetter of central desire. And that's something I need to work on. So yeah, outside of meditation, I think that it's very beneficial. And that's the whole reason why we're developing mindfulness, awareness of mind, is so that outside of meditation, you can identify these various attachments that you're having, these various cravings, and how they relate to the fetters, so that you can really fine tune and refine your practice to get to enlightenment. Because remember, one of the things that the Buddha talked about that we discussed two weeks ago, which is the middle way, he talked about this instrument that when the string's too loose and you pluck it, it doesn't sound beautiful, or if it's too tight, it doesn't sound beautiful. Well, how do you know if the string's in tune or not if you don't pluck it? So what you're doing in daily life with right mindfulness is you're listening to the tune of the instrument. The instrument is the mind, and you're bringing the mind to the middle. So by you seeing the sexual craving come up, that's like plucking the string and like, ah, it's not in the middle. I'm still having that craving. Or, ah, look at that ill will. That girl has the same shoes as me, and I'm hating on her just because she has the same shoes as me. Is that really a good practice to have? So that mindfulness, awareness of mind, and seeing that, that's like plucking the string of the instrument. So then now that you see the hatred, because the girl has the shoes that are the same as yours at home in your closet, or somebody has the same name as you and you don't like that, or you see the sexual craving coming up, now that you've plucked the string and you've got right mindfulness to know about that, now you know what to focus in on. And then when you talk to your teacher or you look through the teachings and you're reading, you can be like, all right, teacher, I'm having trouble with hatred. Whenever I see someone wear the same shoes as me, when they have the same name as me, if they have the same hair color as me, I'm having this anger and this hatred towards them, and I'd like to get rid of it, right? Sometimes when we're working with a teacher, we want to be kind of like so good, and we don't want to look bad in the teacher's eyes, but that's not going to get you anywhere in this practice. So having right mindfulness and plucking that string and seeing the mind and what it does in different situations you can work these out with the book or with the other teachings that I have on the podcast or the YouTube video. But if you need private consultation or you need to post something in our Facebook group, just be really honest and, and say what you're experiencing. So then I can help you with that and help you eliminate it. So yes, in daily life, absolutely be aware of what's going on in the mind and what all these different things that are arising in the mind how they're related to the Buddha's actual teachings and whether you're eliminating certain qualities or you're cultivating certain qualities. Because also what will happen is maybe you're having problems with that person you see has the same shoes of you and it keeps bothering you. But then one day you're going to go out and you're going to see someone wear the same shoes and you're going to smile. You're going to be like, wow, they've got the same shoes as me. That's so awesome. Like they like the same things I like. And you're like, wow, there's that loving kindness. So where at one time you might have been observing a certain amount of negative feelings arising, you'll also, with right mindfulness, start seeing the progress with the mind and how the mind's improving its qualities too. And that's just as important as well. So definitely, Max and, and Bill, 
and anyone else who's interested in this topic is as you're going through your day, if you've developed right mindfulness, awareness of mind, you should start seeing these teachings everywhere around you. And you should start being able to observe these things in the mind. Thanks, David. Thanks for breaking that down. So, um, so during meditation, we're really just bringing it back to the breath, bringing it back to the breath over and over and over again. Yes. Uh, so during the, during the day, during mindfulness, sure, we can notice exactly what's going on, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, maybe understanding what it is so that we can then work with that more skillfully, whatever that is. Um, okay, so I also have a question about sensual desire because uh, we talked about the perception of unattractiveness to abandon lust. Could that expand into other forms of sensual desire? So a big one these days is food. Does that count as sensual desire according to the fetters? Maybe even intoxicants, maybe even other things as well, maybe even uh, excitement, maybe yeah. even extreme sports. You know, there's probably a few we could think of. Yes. Yeah, included? Yeah, central desire is the, the five senses. So the eyes, the nose, the tongue, the physical contact on the body, and, and the hearing as well, the ears. So if you look through your life, you'll notice that the, the eyes, essentially the mind experienced through the eyes, is always interested in seeing ple pleasant things. When the, when the mind experiences and views things through the eyes that is displeasing, the mind becomes discontent. It always wants to see pleasing things. Same thing with the, with the nose. The nose always wants to have pleasing sense. If it walks past a sewer or drives past a uh, processing plant for feces or whatever, you know, we usually, oh, God, that smells so horrible. We might even say things like, oh, I hate that smell. Oh, I can't stand it, right? But that's just a response to this smell in the mind's always craving pleasing sense rather than just when you smell the displeasing smell, recognize that it's impermanent, no need to react to it negatively because you know it's impermanent. So whether it's the eyes, the nose, the taste, like food, like we're always interested in having certain taste, we'll oftentimes crave certain foods and seek those out. If a certain restaurant or place we're going for food doesn't have what we want, sometimes the mind can be discontent and get angry and frustrated and training the mind that it's not always going to have something pleasing in the mouth. And then same thing with the hearing, right? Like Bill brought this up on a couple of classes before where sometimes it's pretty quiet in his condo, but then you'll hear a little bit of sound and it bothers him. And that's because the mind always wants to hear something pleasing. And for Bill at this point in his life, pleasing is quietness, silence. And even just that little bit of sound can cause the mind to be discontent because it's attached to the silence. So that's a central desire as well. And then the physical contact on the body. So the mind is going to want to experience pleasant feelings through all of these five doorways. These are called the doorways to discontentness. So all of these five doorways, 
is where the mind's going to experience discontentness. And then there's a sixth one, which is the mind, which is like kind of negative self-talk, right? Like we can kind of talk ourselves into being discontent. So these five senses or these five gateways, these five doorways can allow discontentness to be created in the mind if we don't experience something pleasant through these five senses. What this particular thing that the Buddha is talking about, though, is he's talking about unattractiveness of the body. But if it helps you to use that same thing and apply it to food, like, for example, right now, I know there's a lot of people that are working on trying to become more vegetarian or more vegan. And you, at this point, may look at a piece of chicken or baby back ribs as being very beautiful, very delicious. Look at all that barbecue sauce and you just want to soak it all up. But the further and further you get away from eating meat, it will actually start looking unattractive to you. You won't even actually view it as food anymore. And it just doesn't have the same appeal once you start living a lifestyle where you're eating all vegetables and plant-based materials. So if this helps you to eliminate things like that, then go for it. There's no rule that says you can't look at unattractiveness of food in order to eliminate meat from the diet. Whatever works for you in order to do that, you should use it. And if it's helpful, use it. But here specifically, what the Buddha is referring to, though, is unattractiveness of the body to abandon sexual cravings. Because these are the four things that need to be developed in meditation are these four right here but it's really the the loving kindness and breathing mindfulness meditation that everybody needs because it's these three poisons that we're working to eliminate which we're going to cover on sunday craving anger and ignorance or unknowing of true reality and each of these have antidotes and to the first two the antidotes are loving kindness and Breathing mindfulness meditation with generosity. So these are vitally important, these two. But that first one that you're asking about, Max, it only comes into play if somebody's really having challenges to eliminate sexual cravings. For some people, they just don't have a problem with sexual cravings. They can just let it go. And they may even have let that go before they even started practicing these teachings. Um, but for other people, it's one that they tend to need to hold on to or that they do hold on to for a longer period of time. So this onion that we're peeling back, this mind that has all these layers that we're peeling back and we're getting closer and closer to emptiness, those layers are gonna be different for every person. For some people, the sexual craving just fluffs away so easily, they're not even, not even a concern at th this point in their life. But for other people, it's one that's closer into the core and it's harder to get rid of. And this particular meditation is really good for people that are having challenges to get rid of that. Whilst we're on topic, I think there's one more question I'd like to answer, and then it appears we have no more after that. Uh, speaking of these attachments and the 10 fetters, which are laid out in quite a logical order, do we tend to see people abandon the fetters in that order, in roughly that order? Or is there a bit of... Um, is there a bit of... Uh, you know, variability there, whereby remove anger before sensual desire, you might remove 
the sense of self before doubts, etc. So do you think for each person it permanently happens exactly the same way? <laughs> I wouldn't have thought so, but I can imagine <laughs> that there's, a, there's, there's themes. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, what I observe is, you know, of course, everybody's different, right? Some people come to this practice and they've already emptied out the ego and there's like very little ego there. For other people, boom, they've got really, really high ego. And that's usually, you know, kind of one of the ones that kind of is towards the end and that is, is a lighter one to, to eliminate. But for some people, they eliminate that one a lot earlier. So there's really no kind of like everybody does this or but if you're working with a teacher they can observe these various qualities in the mind and they can help you a lot of times when you don't even see it yourself what's what's happening what the qualities of the mind are because we are unequipped no matter how much mindfulness we develop no matter how much awareness of mind we develop we're highly unequipped to determine our own stage of enlightenment because the mind is always going to want to tell you you're more enlightened than you are and that's the ego and one of the reasons why you involve other people around you is to help you observe things that you're not observing yourself so the ego is one that tends to stick around for a while for a lot of people i can say that but not everybody so everybody's very different in how these get eliminated the self, practicing non-self and realizing non-self, is one that happens much later for a lot of people. Uh, that's one that definitely happens much later. You know, everybody's a little bit different, though, Max. Wouldn't be accurate to try to kind of create a template and say that everybody kind of fits to the same scenario. Okay, thank you. We have no more questions at the moment. Okay, so... If that's the case, then let's do some meditation together. Let's actually do breathing mindfulness meditation. If this is your first time joining, let me just kind of walk you through in some basic ways of what we're going to do. First, I'm just going to invite you guys to get a nice, comfortable seat. If you are comfortable sitting in a chair, sit in a chair. If you're comfortable on the floor, sit on the floor. And if you're on the floor, usually we sit cross-legged, but you don't want to be real, real tight with your legs because you're going to cut off circulation and your legs are going to become a little bit numb and painful. So the idea is to sit in a comfortable position. If at any time during meditation you're feeling uncomfortable, you want to change position. You want to move your body to be comfortable. You don't want to just grin and bear it and push through the pain. Pain is your body's way of telling the mind, hey, something's uncomfortable here. I need you to change positions. I need you to get more comfortable. And in order to do that, you're going to need to change the position of the body. So be sure you get the lower body comfortable. There's no awards. There's no certificates given out for someone who just pushes through the pain. So get into a comfortable position, and then because that's impermanent, if it becomes uncomfortable at any time during meditation, just change it. The upper body should be in the middle. Don't be slouched and don't be real rigid. Be in the middle, just nice and comfortable. And then your hands and your arms, there's lots of different options for these. Typically, you place them in your lap, and Gautama Buddha, he put his right hand over his left with his thumbs together, 
and then he placed them in his lap. Some people might put their hands face down, palm down on their lap or on their knees or something of that nature. Essentially, when you go into meditation, you're not interested in really engaging any of the muscles whatsoever other than the upper body, just to keep the upper body erect, which is going to keep the mind alert. It's going to keep it attentive during meditation because in order to train the mind, we need to keep the mind attentive and alert during meditation. So by engaging the upper body, it's keeping the mind alert and attentive. As we ease into meditation, I'll do a chant. And since I've been teaching this, you're welcome to chant along with me. If you haven't learned the chanting yet, it's in chapter 11 of the book that I use in order to teach all the students. So you'll be able to find it there. And you can look back at the previous podcasts, YouTube videos, and streaming that I've done where I've actually taught chanting on a couple of occasions, and you can learn how to do chanting because it's really nice to start becoming aware of the mind, aware of the breath, and kind of ease the mind into meditation, kind of coasting it into meditation a little bit. Then once we're in meditation after the chanting, I'm going to provide some brief guidance, and then I'm just going to leave you on your own and let you do meditation because I don't even want you to get attached to my voice. So rather than guiding you all the way through meditation, this is going to allow your mind to get attached to my voice, where your mind is only going to know how to meditate if you're listening to somebody talk, and the mind's going to be attached to this voice. But we want to teach the mind to let go. So that's why I'm going to have a period of silence there where you're just training the mind to come to the breath. And I'm going to give you some guidance once we first get into meditation to help you get started so that in that period where you're on your own, you'll be knowing what to do in order to train the mind. And then at the end, I'll use chanting again to bring us out of meditation and whatever questions that we have at that point, we can definitely dive back into the questions and be able to see what questions you guys might have at that point. So let's go ahead and get you into meditation and help you get some benefit out of this session where we're training the mind to come into the present moment and focus on the breath. So get your lower body comfortable, cross leg or sitting in a chair. Get your upper body comfortable where you're engaging the muscles to stay erect, keeping the mind attentive and alert. And now place your hands and arms in your lap. If you're going to do some chanting, feel free to do that with your palms together at your sternum. Arahang Samma Samhoto Mahakawa Potang Mahakawanang Apiwate Ami Savakato Mahakawata Tammo Tamang Namasami Sopatipano Pakawato Savakasanko Sangang Namami 
should be nice and comfortable. Your upper body should be erect to keep the mind attentive and alert. Your hands and arms just resting comfortably in your lap. Either right hand over left with your thumbs touching or your palms on your lap or on your knees. The body's just comfortable but not luxurious. You're breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Focusing the mind on the breath. Bring the mind to the breath. Just notice the quality of the breath. Is it short? Is it long? Is it hurried? Are you trying to control the breath? Just let it go. Just breathe in naturally, in through the nose and out through the nose. Just a natural, consistent breath. Breathing in, in, out. Just keep focusing the mind on the breath. The sound of the breath entering the nose or the sensation of the air moving over the skin into the nose. The breath is the present moment. You're training the mind to focus on the breath. You're training the mind to come into the present moment.
as you're breathing in and out through the nose, if the mind goes to the past, as it has thoughts of the past, cut those off. Let them go. Kick them out. Focus the mind on the breath. As the mind goes to the future, cut those off, let them go, kick them out. Just bring the mind to the breath, the present moment. If the mind has thoughts, ideas, or perceptions, just cut them off. Let them go, kick them out. Focus the mind on the breath, the present moment. Notice how all the thoughts are impermanent. All the sounds around you are impermanent. All of this is impermanent. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. I'm going to leave you on your own. Just let you train the mind to focus on the breath, training it to come to the present moment. You have nowhere to go, you have nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is for you, a dedicated, independent training session, training the mind to let go. Focus on the breath, eliminating the poison of craving.
All right, well, what I attempted to do today was help demonstrate to you how what you're learning in this program, what you're learning in all the resources that I provide, like the book and podcasts and YouTube videos and the group, it's all connected to Gautama Buddha's teachings. There's a lot of teachings that you're going to see out there from all different kinds of places and impermanence, constantly changing, 2,500 years of impermanence from the Gautama Buddha's time. But everything that I teach is connected back to the Buddhist teachings, confirmed in the Pali text, through my own practice, through teaching others and seeing them progress and get benefit. And then with Thai people as well, confirming with them that, yes, this is what they're teaching in Thailand. In fact, the source texts that I use are sourced from a very reliable temple here in Thailand. So this is going to help illuminate the path to enlightenment for you. Rather than needing to focus on 10, 20, 30 different meditations or 
having countless different things that you're looking at early in practice it's good to just focus on one set of teachings with one teacher make a whole lot of progress and then if you want to branch out and look at some other things that's a good time to do that because you have a teacher an established relationship that you can reflect things with and kind of talk to about what you're seeing but early in practice or even if you've been practicing for a long time and you haven't really maybe gotten to where you would like to be while you're studying with me even though you've studied other types of teachings or other meditations just do this dedicate a few weeks or a few months to just what i'm sharing with you and you'll see your mind improving and that way you know it's coming from these teachings so i'm really glad that you guys are here i'm really glad and encouraged that you've taken the time to actually study and developing this practice for yourself where you're developing a meditation practice and a practice where you're learning the teachings keep working at it keep going remember the buddha took six years to become enlightened so it's going to take time gradually 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 your mind's going to improve more and more so i'd like to see if there are any questions that we've had come in since our meditation if you guys have questions of anything that was happening during meditation or anything that's been going on even when you've been meditating on your own that you like help with i have a question from bill so bill asks about the uh, with the current situation with social distancing and not having regular social contact what meditation is best to help with that would it be breathing mindfulness uh, to help us not be attached to these social interactions absolutely absolutely everything comes back to breathing mindfulness meditation uh, for anything that the mind's attached to and it's holding on to is just keep working at it and keep working at it and then for hatred anger frustration irritation annoyance all of that it's loving kindness but then also what you're going to hear on sunday is meditation isn't the only answer a lot of times in this practice of the buddhist teachings some think that meditation is the only answer yes meditation is the foundation and that's what we're doing in practice every day but this poison of craving or greed has an antidote of generosity and this poison of hatred or anger that has all the other lighter versions of that also has the antidote of practicing loving kindness on a daily basis so yes it's meditation bill but also practicing generosity as i often see you do but just finding more and more ways of doing that and practicing non-attachment in everything that you do i have a question so since i've been practicing with you david i've followed your advice to not time my meditations but generally anyway most of the time and i found that really helpful really helpful it just removes another object from the mind and i've heard you say that stop when you feel like you're ready to stop when when you're done i was just wondering if you had any guidelines to use yourself as to when you feel you've reached that point is there something that happens or um just just how do you gauge that yourself just whatever whatever i'm feeling <laughs> whatever i'm feeling so sometimes it's okay. my son walks into the room and asks for something other times he walks in and he sees me meditating and he leaves other times it might be i just feel like okay i'm feeling pretty decent and i stop 
But I'm glad you brought up this point, Max, because it's something I didn't cover here, but I definitely cover in the book, is oftentimes we're taught to time your meditation, but I suggest that you don't time your meditations, is you just understand the goal is to produce results. And you might get results in 10 minutes, you might get results in 30, 45, an hour. Timing your meditation, usually one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to fall short of that time, and then you're going to beat yourself up and feel guilty and shameful that you didn't get to the time that you designated. And you're going to be sitting there in meditation the whole time, you know, is, is it 30 minutes yet? Is it 30 minutes yet? Is it 30 minutes yet? And it's just going to be repeating in your mind over and over and over again if you set the alarm for that. So you're going to feel guilty, shameful, and the mind's just going to keep cycling, wondering if it's time yet. The other thing that might happen is you might be really deep in meditation, having forgotten about that you've even set the alarm, and then all of a sudden, beep, 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 beep. Oh, if I just wouldn't have set that alarm, you could have actually gotten more benefit. So if you just remove that obstacle, remove that attachment, then the mind has one less thing to latch onto. And even if you timed yourself and you did meditate for 30 minutes, 45 or an hour, I usually tell people like, what are you going to do with that information? Literally, like, what are we going to do with that? Are we going to come and compare like who's meditating the most and the egos involved and trying to compare who's meditating the most? within a particular group, like that's not the goal of practice either. So removing this obstacle, removing this attachment, this craving for wanting a certain amount of time and having an expectation of wanting or longing or having this eagerness for a certain amount of time, just remove that from the whole scenario and just sit down, lay, stand, walk, whatever you're gonna do and just meditate. And when you're done, you're done. Don't even don't even time it. That's the best thing that I found to just remove that entirely. And I think you're going to find that if you do that, that you're going to get more benefit out of your meditation too, because you're not going to be sitting there constantly thinking of, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? And when you're done, if you have no expectation, whatever amount of time you did, it was it was a good time. So I don't really have a way. It's just Whenever, like right now, when we just meditated, I just meditated and just whenever I felt like, okay, this is probably good. You know, I just kind of finished. Had I not been on this live stream, I probably would have did longer. But I felt like different people at different points in practice, you know, depending on how long people feel comfortable meditating, I felt like, okay, let me just finish here. This felt like a really good time. If you have kind of unlimited time, you may want to go until you feel like the mind is kind of centered and kind of really grounded for a period of time. And then you feel like, okay, wow, I, I found the middle, you know, my mind's in the middle. And now you want to finish at that spot and then carry that with you. One of the beauties about the Buddhist teachings and everything that he taught is while you need teachers and you need guides to share the teachings with you, everything is independently verifiable. So everything that I teach you, everything that the Buddha taught you, you need to learn it from teachers, but then you can go out and practice it and see that it's working for yourself. This is the difference between belief and truth. This is why we call the Four Noble Truths or the Three Universal Truths, where we talk about acquiring wisdom. Through learning the truths that the Buddha taught, you acquire wisdom. You can see it for yourself. 
So by practicing this breathing mindfulness meditation, you can see for yourself, over time, the mind becomes more and more centered, peaceful, calm, serene, and content, more stabilized, unshakable. And if you practice loving kindness meditation the way that I teach, you're gonna learn over time for yourself that this is working. And that's one of the beauties about the Buddhist teachings is it's not based on belief, it's based on learning and practicing and you see the truth for yourself, that your mind is improving. This is how people knew that the Buddha was a Buddha. Is one, he discovered these teachings by himself without the help of anyone else. And then two, when he taught people and they practiced what he taught, they could see for themselves where they were once angry and frustrated, now they feel nothing. They feel peaceful, calm, serene, and content. They saw that the quality of their mind completely improved because you know what it feels like to have guilt and shame and fear and all of these other discontent emotions like boredom and loneliness, all of these things, as you progress further and further, closer and closer to enlightenment, these things will be eliminated. And this is how they knew during the Buddha's lifetime, this guy is a Buddha because he discovered it by himself and he led more and more and more people to enlightenment. So you will see these teachings for yourself if you study them diligently with dedication and commitment, you will see that the mind will gradually improve more and more. But you need to spend the time to come to class on Wednesdays and Sundays as you can, of course, impermanence happens. You can't come every single time, but you've got the book, you've got the YouTube videos, you've got podcasts, you've got quizzes, you've got the Facebook group, you've got classes here in Chiang Mai, retreats here in Chiang Mai, you can come and learn these teachings and you'll see the more you learn, the more your mind's improving. So just keep staying dedicated to it. Keep working at it. I'd like to ask about a difficulty I've been having recently, meditation. It's a kind of like backstepping. So it feels like I can get to uh, a certain level of concentration joy appears or tranquility appears but then it's gone it's mm -hmm. it's almost like there's something waiting to jump out on me and go ha ha you thought you had it mm -hmm. not so fast and just like drags it back again yeah and it's been happening just repeatedly and, and so you made me think of this just now because you talked about when you've reached the middle for a certain amount of time and i can relate to that except that recently for some reason it it it's like I can feel like I'm I am in the middle, but then actually go backwards before, and then by the end mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, I might as well stop now. <laughs> and then I have maybe been meditating for quite some time. Anyway, appreciate the, your advice on that. This is one of the reasons why I suggest don't label things, because as soon as you say ah, there's tranquility, now the mind's longing for tranquility, or oh ah, there's that peace peacefulness I've been looking for. There's the craving. There's the longing, there's the eagerness. So as soon as you want something or something appears and you label it, now all of a sudden the mind desires it. So when you're meditating, if you feel a level of tranquility or peacefulness come in, I describe it as like standing in the rain and being unaffected by it. It's like just let the raindrops hit your head and just as if there's no rain whatsoever. So the tranquility, the peacefulness comes into the mind. Just 
no different. Just sit there, don't label it, don't judge it, don't be like, ah, I finally got into the middle. Because as soon as you do, that's the ego coming in and saying, ah, you've got what you wanted. You've got it. Now you're done. Nope. Then you step backwards. Because whenever the craving comes in, that's when the mind's going to go backwards. Because what happens as you, you know, I've talked about enlightenment, like flipping the switch. And then there's kind of like this flickering of the light, right? Like when you flip the switch, the light flickers and then it's off, then it flickers and it's off. As you're getting closer and closer to enlightenment and you think you're actually there and you start thinking that way, like, oh, look, I'm there. I've got the tranquility or, oh, look, I'm there. I've eliminated the ill will or I've eliminated the sexual craving. Look at me. Now the pride comes in, right? And you got to get rid of that too. You just got to exist peacefully, calmly, serenely, unaffected, just satisfied with what is. That's why one of the other things I say is even someday you get to enlightenment, just never consider yourself enlightened. Because as soon as you consider yourself enlightened, that's the ego saying, oh, you're enlightened now. Look at you. Aren't you special? And then all of a sudden you step backwards because that's the ego coming in. So you got to just exist and just exist peacefully, calmly, serenely, contently with joy, not based on any conditions, any conditions whatsoever. So probably what's happening, Max, is that light's flickering and then the craving or the ego kind of comes back in and then that's when the mind's going backwards. So just stand there sit there, lay there, whatever you're doing in meditation, just completely unaffected by whatever tranquility or peacefulness that's coming to the mind. Thanks, David. Really helpful. And I think there is, yes, an element of like wanting to control it, wanting to know I've got this refuge no matter what's going yes. on. And it just so happens that meditation usually is a res- refuge. It's been a very, very reliable refuge, probably, probably the only true refuge which is what makes this this uh, kind of difficulty all the more painful because there's me wanting to control it, wanting to know that it's it's going to be, you know, like this is going to be relaxing. And this is another danger, I think, in time meditations or even looking at how long you've been meditating for because it might be that the last five times you meditated for that long, it, it you reached the middle or some certain but then you think it's going to happen again and it just it it's it's craving it's the yeah. precise craving because it then sets you up for disappointment and when we talk about attain enlightenment right it kind of assumes that there's a finish line and then that you're actually crossing the finish line and now i can consider myself enlightened well as soon as you do that the mind's now craving and there's ego and now the qualities of enlightenment start to diminish so you can just consider enlightenment just a lifelong pursuit. And at some point, if you're pursuing this dedicated enough, committed enough, and you're progressing enough, you're going to get to a point where six months, one year, two years, you haven't experienced any anger, frustration, irritation, boredom, loneliness, shyness, fears, guilt, shame. You haven't experienced it at all. And inside, you kind of know like, all right, I'm there. Like I've, I've, really progress pretty far, but never convince yourself that you're enlightened because the mind just keeps opening up wider and wider and wider, and you just keep getting more and more and more wisdom. As soon as you say, okay, I'm done, I've attained enlightenment, 
then the mind becomes complacent. It becomes sluggish. It becomes lazy. So just don't even ever try to distinguish, okay, now I'm enlightened and now I'm not. Now I'm enlightened and now I'm not. Just stay on the path and just keep working to eliminate discontentness of mind wherever you see it. Eliminating craving, practicing non-attachment, eliminating hatred, anger, continuing to eliminate ignorance, delusion, unknowing of true reality, keep building wisdom, just wisdom, 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 wisdom. Just keep working in that direction and just never consider yourself even enlightened. Yes, thanks a lot. That's really helpful, David. We seem to have no more questions. Okay. Thanks again. Yeah, well, we'll go ahead and end today's class session. I would just like to invite you guys back. We're going to be talking about transforming the three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion, or craving, anger, and ignorance. This is the real goal of attaining enlightenment, is eliminating these three poisons. So it's a talk that we're going to go into, describe what these three poisons are, how they manifest, and what they do in your life, and what you've been experiencing because of these three poisons, showing you how they've been detrimental to your relationships, to your life, to life decisions, how all unwholesome gamma is generated through these three poisons. Then we're going to talk about the actual antidote or solution to these poisons and how you can actually eliminate them from the mind. And the the 10 fetters that we talk about in terms of attaining enlightenment and eliminating the 10 fetters, the three poisons are kind of a more general way to describe the mind in a general way where the 10 fetters are a more specific, more detailed teaching, but they're really connected. So we're going to connect all of this together for you guys and then help you understand how to eliminate these poisons on Sunday at nine o'clock. Between now and then, Remember, we're in chapter seven, which is the five precepts. Keep reading that. I'm going to keep making posts. Use the podcast, the YouTube channel, the quizzes, all of those resources to help you learn and keep meditating. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. No matter how the mind feels, no matter how sad, how guilty, how shameful, no matter what discontent emotions come up, the ego is going to keep wanting to hold on everything's going to want to tell you to give up and not to pursue. Just push through it and just keep on going. And uh, you'll be really glad that you did when you eliminate things like anger, frustration, irritation, sadness, boredom, loneliness. When you're just satisfied with what is, nothing can bother the mind. It's unshakable. Remember, a pot without a stand is easy to tip over. So we've got to build that stand and we've got to make it wider and wider and wider so the mind doesn't get tipped over. The mind getting tipped over is the discontentedness. So we need to eliminate that discontent mind by learning these teachings and practicing these teachings more and more. So I want to wish you guys a very great, wonderful day. Enjoy the rest of your time, whatever you're going to do. Sawadee kap. Kap kun kap. kap. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. 
There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.